Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. It is the Thursday edition of the Leach Report, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio in Lexington. And good day, everybody. Welcome into the show on a, uh, a rainy, dreary Thursday as we uh, deal, all of us kind of, I guess, Kentucky and East deal with the remnants of Hurricane Fred rolling up the East Coast. If uh, you're a uh, racing fan, it's going to probably wash everything off the turf today at, uh, at Saratoga. And uh, all the course, courses up the East Coast. So it is um, a show today that we're going to lead off with Mike Pratt, as we do on Thursdays, Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated, and Dick Gabriel, who actually just got back from a trip to Saratoga and visiting the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we'll talk a little travel log with Gay Plus Kentucky football. Let's jump right into the Wildcat news of the day, though. And uh, we'll start with a report from On3 Sports that Joey Gatewood is likely going to end up at Central Florida. And there are uh, several reasons why this would be a good fit for Joey to try and restart his college football career. Gus Malzahn is the head coach. He was the coach at Auburn when uh, Gatewood was in a quarterback competition there. Uh, He also will see Darren Henshaw, who was his quarterback's coach at Kentucky. Coach Henshaw is on the uh, Central Florida staff as an analyst for this season. And Central Florida's there in Orlando, so just a couple of hours from where Gatewood grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. So if that's where he ends up, we certainly wish uh, wish him well. And uh, Bo Allen's the backup, and then it's Nick Scalzo and Kaya Sharon uh, battling it out to be the number three guy on the depth chart for Kentucky. Nick uh, has the more experience um, coming off uh, – yeah, it's it was a shame for Nick because he injured that knee in training camp in 2019. Had he been healthy, he might have gotten a shot to play then when um, Kentucky was down two quarterbacks. They obviously ended up uh, turning to Lynn Bowden. So uh, we'll see who uh, gets the three reps and hope that whoever the number three guy is isn't needed at any point this season. Hopefully the number three guy gets to play some because Kentucky is so so far ahead in some games. But uh, all of the focus, obviously, will be on Will Levis. We'll talk a little bit about that with uh, our guests today and uh, what to expect from Will. Darren, Darren Kennard gets another honor, preseason first-team All-America by CBS Sports. I think everybody who's done an All-America team, I can't remember anybody that didn't put Darian on the first team, an offensive tackle. Perhaps there there was one or two, but I can't remember them. Uh, and he is certainly poised for a, a massive uh, final season at Kentucky. Some recruiting news. Ty Bryant 
who is a three-star athlete from Douglas High School. Athlete because he can play multiple positions. I think most people forecast him being a DB. His dad, Cisco, played wide receiver at Kentucky. Ty's going to make his announcement this afternoon, uh, and uh, Kentucky is one of the leading contenders to land his services for the next recruiting class. Basketball recruiting, uh, Case and Wallace has set up a visit to Kentucky for next weekend, so he'll be here around the same time as Adem Bona will also be visiting. Uh, Wallace is also going to visit Tennessee and Texas. From what I read, most believe it'll come down to Tennessee and Kentucky to land Wallace. Kentucky Volleyball picked to win the SEC for a fifth year in a row by the league's coaches. It was close, though. The defending national champs picked up one more first-place vote than runner-up Florida. Three Wildcats on the preseason All-SEC Volleyball team, Allie Stumler, uh, Maddie Skinner, and Zhani Teeler. And the Wildcats will open their season next week. I think it's a couple of matches or a tournament up in uh, Dayton. We'll get Coach Skinner on next week to talk about beginning defense of the first national championship for Kentucky volleyball. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Mike Pratt will join us when we come back. Justin Rowland a little later. And Dick Gabriel will be in the three-hole in the batting order today. As we bring you this Thursday edition of the Leach Report from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. Return, refresh, and refuel at one of the 67 Clark's Pump and Shops all around Kentucky, including the newest one downtown, the corner of uh, Maine and Felix in downtown Lexington, right across from where they're doing the arena construction. We'll be right back. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. It's the Thursday edition of the Leach Report. We go to the drinksword.com hotline. Bring on Mike Pratt, my broadcast partner on the UK basketball games. We always uh, bring him in with a little Eagles music, uh, courtesy of uh, Shannon's choices at the controls. And I know, Mike, you always like that. Uh, what's, what's the best concert you've ever seen? Is it an Eagles or somebody else? Uh you know, back in the day when I was in college, the Four Tops came to Lexington, and Ooh. that was a difficult time for a uh, uh, for our race relations in this country. But they put on a show to you know a sellout crowd at the uh, at the old uh, Memorial Coliseum. I enjoyed that, but yeah, I think of all the other ones I've seen, the Eagles. Um, maybe the best one I saw was out in California. Uh, the second best up in the Nutter Center in Dayton. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a huge Eagles fan. Saw the Eagles in 1978 at uh, Riverfront Stadium. And they set the stage up out in right field. um, And it was the Eagles, um, Steve Miller Band, and Eddie Money. And oh. must have been about 120 on the AstroTurf, but you could walk right down onto the you know the field. It was a you know open. It was like general admission uh, seating. And uh, anyway, I, I found a, I looked up a picture. I found it online uh, earlier this summer uh, from that concert. It was uh, I mean they were filled to the top row of what was then Riverfront Stadium, plus people down on the field. So I think it was 61,000 people 
um, for a great Eagles show. I saw uh, Jackson Brown at a place called Red Rocks in California. They did a feature on it on the uh, CBS Sunday morning show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was just a few years ago. That was that was a memorable one. And uh, saw. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What's real, Jers? No, I was just going to say you talk about hot. I saw uh, the Stones when they came to Louisville on their, I think it was their Steel Wheels tour in about 84 or 5, something like that, 86, at the old uh, uh, Cardinal uh, Stadium. And, uh, man, that was hot and nasty and people <laughs> everywhere. But the Stones were good. They, they were good, but just... You know, being outside, like you said, with all that heat and everything, it was uh, it, it was something. <laughs> the other two uh, shows that stick out um, saw a Earth, Wind, and Fire at Rupp Arena back in the seventies when they had a, a magician that choreographed their stage show. So they had magic incorporated into the stage show. And then the other the other mem- most memorable is, and it wasn't a concert uh, because it was a comic. Uh, Robin Williams maybe 10, 15 oh, years man. ago at the Palace Theater in Louisville. And Funny guy. That, oh, man, was that uh, was that a blast. Well, uh, that's uh, the uh, travel and uh, concert section of the conversation. Uh, not a lot, whole lot else going on in basketball right now, so I kind of uh, diverted onto that path. But I know you keep up probably more than most with the Summer League, and uh, see, I see Jackson seems to be having a nice little run. Yeah, he did a he did a nice job uh, uh, on the glass and rebounding. So as a, it's a struggle for him to score even in the summer league. Now you, Dan and I talk about this all the time. The summer league has no relationship to the real NBA. If you can't be a dominant scorer or a dominant in some position, which he was blocking shot seven the other the other night, um, you, you got you know I mean you got you're going to struggle to make an NBA team. I mean Suggs and Green and uh, Cunningham, they, they all dominant. They, they they did things, and they were dominant players. And Isaiah's got a long way to go offensively before he can block a shot and rebounds. You know, the ironic thing, uh, Tom, Elmore Smith is going into the uh, Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame next month, and uh, we were talking with him and, and doing the research and talking to him. He had 17 blocks in one game against the Portland Trailblazers. It was a good team at that time, and uh, that's still a record in the NBA. And so everybody's raving about seven for Isaiah. And and, and I'm not knocking that. That's a great accomplishment. But this guy, Elmore Smith from Kentucky State, a little small town in Georgia, Kentucky State, I mean, 17 blocks in an NBA game against a solid NBA team. You know, that, that, that that makes me look at things a little differently, doesn't it? Yeah. I remember watching him and Travis Grant play against yeah. Trancy at Old McAllister Auditorium here in Lexington on the Trancy campus, um, probably around 70, 71, something like that. I want to say the game uh, maybe went to three overtimes, just a, an incredible game. But, you know, you had two future NBA players on the Kentucky State team in Travis Grant and Elmore Smith. Yeah, I don't know how long a career Grant had, but, but uh, Elmore had a terrific, a terrific career. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Grant was a machine gun. That's what they called him. I mean, he's, he never saw a shot he didn't like, and he could make a bunch of them. So that was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you really like them and, and you can make them, that's okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Uh, but yeah, there was some great, uh, small college basketball at that time because it was, you know, a time when African American players were not being as widely recruited as they should have been, obviously, by, uh, the, the bigger schools. And, uh, you know, uh, like I say, Kentucky State ended up with two guys, uh, that uh, played in the NBA and, uh, a great coach. And, uh, I think it was Coach Lucius Mitchell, if I remember. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's right. Any of, the, any of the other Kentucky guys that uh, you know, have uh, done anything to catch your eye in the uh, summer league stuff that you're watching that leaves you thinking that uh, you know maybe better days could be coming? Oh well, listen, Maxie and Quick, man, they did a Quick didn't shoot it as well maybe as as he has in the past, but his overall game, I thought in reading up on it, I watched him a couple times, not for a full game, but everybody seems to be very happy with Quick's development as far as. You know, running the show, uh, understanding the defenses and reacting to those, passing the ball. He, he really helped himself uh, development-wise that way. And, of course, there wasn't a summer league last year. But Maxie, you know, he, he was streaky shooter, Tom, when he was with the Cats. And he could take it to the hole and do a lot of things. It, it looked like this summer, and then from what I've been reading about him and what he tried to do, uh, he, he's shooting the ball better. He's looking for his shot. It looks like he's got some confidence in the shot. I, I think both those guys are, and I said this about both of them in our broadcast when they were with the Cats, they're going to have long careers. I mean, they just both have a high basketball IQ, and then they each one of them have different NBA-level um, skills. So I just, you know, I, I was glad to see him play well. I was, I was glad to see him well play well. It looks like Brandon Boston's going to spend time in the uh, in the G League. And that's kind of where we thought he was. He struggled to make hoops out in the uh, summer league. If you struggle to make hoops there, you're gonna not gonna make many in the NBA. But he's a project, you know. Not maybe not as much of a uh, project as Isaiah Jackson, but he could be one of those guys a year or two from now uh, comes out of the G League, and you go like, where the hell did he come from? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Being back to Tyrese, I remember that first game up at the the. I think it was at the Garden, wasn't it, against Michigan State when yeah. State was number one, yeah. and he was just spectacular. He kind of, you know, showed you showed us early. He had that, you know, that it factor, and it just serves to circle back, you know, how important guard play is uh, in the NCAA tournament. That uh, really, yeah. That team in twenty, you know, had their season not been cut out by the uh, the virus, uh, they might have been able to to do something special because they had. You know, quickly playing as well as he was. Maxi, you know, Nick. You had a, a good big man. Um, they had a lot of good good things going for them. I, you know, I, I really feel sorry for those guys because I'm I'm like you. I I think the team had a chance. They were playing well at the end. I, I know they got beat. Well, they won six or seven in a row and uh, got beat by Tennessee. Was it Tennessee? Right, but they went down and Florida bounced State. back and had the big rally against Florida. Turned out to be the last game. And the other thing is, uh, Keon was kind of. Brooks was kind of figured it, figuring yes. it out, and, and Johnny was shooting the ball. Juzang and uh, you know they both were freshmen. So no, I like that team. I, I like that team a lot. Looked like they were going to be a, a, a two seed. Okay, and uh, I liked them in that slot. No matter where you put them, I liked them in that slot. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think they could have uh, done a little damage. Mike, thank you much. Uh, we'll talk next week. Okay, buddy. As Mike Pratt, he joins us on Thursdays here on the Leach Report. You can follow him on Twitter at MikePratt22. About 25 past the top of the hour here on the Leach Report. 
Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated coming up next. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Got a um, note from Brian Milam, uh, sports director WKYT TV here in Lexington, and it has a picture of what may be a movie poster, I'm guessing, with the autographs of uh, Travis Grant and Elmore Smith on it. The movie posters for uh, a documentary that ESPN did back, it looks like in 2008, called Black Magic, uh, examining civil rights era America through the prism of basketball at historically black colleges and universities. Um, Earl the Pearl Monroe featured on there. Um, uh, Big House Gaines, I'm guessing, is in that uh, as well from uh, Paducah, Kentucky, originally, I believe, or in down in that area. Uh, I'll have to uh, have to look that up and uh, and watch that because uh, I remember a lot of these guys that are that are featured. Uh, Dick Barnett, another former New York Knickerbocker, um, Bob Butterbean Love of the uh, Chicago Bulls, uh, you know, Bobby Dandridge with the 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 Bucks and then the Bullets. I remember watching all these guys in uh, in the NBA as I was growing up. Anyway, appreciate that, Brian. And uh, from one of our listeners, Mike uh, has uh, some memories of cooling stations on the turf at uh, Riverfront Stadium for that concert I was talking about with Mike Pratt in '78 at Riverfront Stadium. And he notes the mayor of Cincinnati at the time. I'd forgotten this was Jerry Springer. Uh, Justin Rowland joins us now from CatsIllustrated.com. Uh, and a great resource as you're getting ready for the start of the football season for the Wildcats to, to get the, uh, the nuggets from what uh, Justin and his team are getting from practices and uh, hearing from what's going on at training camp. Uh, Justin, uh, what is what are the, the good vibes that you're hearing so far for Kentucky fans? It sure sounds like they think the passing game can take a big step forward. I think they've upgraded the receiver room, and everybody's really excited about Levis. Things wouldn't have unfolded the way that they did last week unless he, I think, had created some distance between himself and the other quarterbacks. And I think that that's a good sign for him. Uh, the line's deep. I think the offense is going to take a big step forward. And then on defense, um, you know, Trevin Wallace as a true freshman, I think is as good or better than advertised. And I wouldn't be surprised if – I mean, I think he has a chance to start even the first game of the season. And that that's not done. That's not anybody else's opinion. That's just based on what I've heard. And that, that would be really surprising. But he's, he's the kind of freshman that they haven't had often. I think there was a picture I saw from the open practice maybe of uh, Jacquez Jones sitting out uh, maybe in a little bit of a I want to say maybe it was an ankle or something. That didn't look like anything major. But, you know, he's missed some time, which opens the door for a guy like Wallace to get a shot. Yeah, he's missed most of camp. And uh, Jones has, and it is an ankle, and he's going to be fine for the season. But even as a senior, you know, he's coming to a new defense, new scheme, yeah. a little deeper than it seemed, and, you know, he's going to have to work his way back in. We'll continue our uh, UK football discussion with Justin Rowland when we come right back. It's the Leach Report for a Thursday. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, it's the Leach Report for a Thursday. We're chatting with Justin Rowland from CatsIllustrated.com on Twitter. It's at Rowland Rivals. 
Um, one of the national writers for Rivals, Mike Farrell, uh, saw an interesting note, Justin. He said uh, that he thinks Will Levis could be the surprise of the SEC at the quarterback spot. Uh, that was a, a pretty bold spa- statement. I was talking about this, I think, with Kyle Tucker yesterday, that there's just, you know, you look around the league and there's not a lot of uh, proven QBs this year. There are a lot of guys that, you know, like Will, uh, are, you know, we're waiting to see what they are going to do in games, and if Kentucky uh, gets is in a position where their uh, their quarterback is playing the, in the way that uh, Mike Farrell is suggesting, that's where you have a really special season. Maybe I agree. Yeah, he's gonna. I mean, Kentucky's gonna have one of the most improved passing games in the country, and whether that just means they were really bad in the past and now they're average, or now they're they have a good passing game, we're just gonna have to wait and see. You know, athletically and, and trait-wise, Levis is off the charts. It looks like a Power 5 starter at a lot of different places, not just Kentucky. I think they are kind of taking on faith that he, he's going to be that kind of pocket passer, you know, because he, he wasn't that at Penn State. You know, the people that saw him at Penn State knew that, that he had to put it all together, and he had been used as a fullback and then kind of um, just hadn't put it together yet. But if he does put it together, it wouldn't shock me if he's, an upper echelon SEC quarterback because the traits are there. He's done a lot of work, Levis, with a mechanics guru to try to improve some of the things you're talking about. And, yeah, I think there are times where any any athlete, you know, opinions are formed about you at, at where you are, be they by coaches, media, or fans. And a lot of times it's hard to change those opinions without a fresh start somewhere. I agree. And he's set up to succeed. I mean, Kentucky – has an offensive line that's been very good but has needed to get better in pass protection, and, and Rosenthal absolutely does that at left tackle. I mean, he's going to protect Levis' blind side, and, and he, I mean, he may even be an upgrade from Landon Young, which is really saying something. Um, and then you've got now Isaiah Cummings emerging to kind of take the role vacated by Keaton Upshaw when he was hurt, and I think you've got some, some young receivers to complement Ali and uh, and Juan Dale, I, I just think he's he's set up that if he if he does his part, finally Kentucky's got a balanced array of skill guys that are going to make him look good. It, it says a, a lot for Darian Kennard, I think, to readily shift back over to the right side when he was uh, thinking of playing the left because you know there is there's uh, more money in that in a draft position. Now, hopefully, you know with Darian, he's going to have such a reputation established that people will see that you know he could easily shift over there and maybe he'll get some reps there during this season in a rotation but you know it i, I thought that was one of the more interesting storylines going into camp that didn't get talked about a lot because the you had canard uh, penciled in at the left and rosenthal at the right when they both had played on the opposite sides all along agreed yeah and i'm, I'm not shocked at that at all when they brought rosenthal in i just assumed that he was going to move to the left side because that's just kind of what he's known for, just those pass protection uh, abilities. Um, you know, if, if Kennard had played left tackle and had been outstanding, he might have developed into like a top ten pick. But, you know, if, if you go to left tackle and you struggle, then that's worse than just having another great year at right tackle. So, you know, they're telling him the money's going to be there if you just have a great year at right tackle. I don't even know. He could conceivably be a guard in the NFL. So he just needs to focus on having the best season that he can have and trusting that everything will, will take care of itself. Yeah, I remember Stoops talking about that early in his time here, in Kennard's time here, that uh, they, you know, that uh, guard could ultimately be his position, but he's been so good at right tackle that they never messed with it. That's right, yeah. They, they've, and they've got depth. Jeremy Flax, they're not just saying 
that Rosenthal has to earn it. I, he's going to be the starter, but Flax, they really do feel good about him, and I think Nasir Watkins is, is healthy and would probably be the fourth tackle, and some of the younger guys, DeAndre Buford, um, have, have have impressed as well. I mean, they've really, really replenished the ranks there, and I don't think they're going to slow down anytime soon. Uh, you had a, an item uh, at uh, catsillustrated.com about Michael Drennan and the switch to running back and w- how his role could, could flesh out. Uh, what do you think the upside is there? I, I, I think that if he plays this year, and, you know, he, it is a transition for him, but it, it's not a huge transition because he does have some track record playing running back. Um, you think about the 21 personnel, you know, two running backs, one tight end, two receivers. I think that's their best set in terms of just getting the best players on the field. And I've heard that could be where he would where he would get an opportunity, where, you know, you think about Drennan and McLean and, and Smoke, guys that can run, guys that can catch. And you put a couple of those running backs back there who are versatile, uh, multi-talented players, you know, that gives the defense a lot to think about, and I've heard that, that the initial returns have been pretty good. Well, they really seem to be uh, in love with what they're seeing out of Isaiah Cummings at tight end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you wonder whether they just had low expectations and they were going to be impressed by anything he did and, and anything he gives you as gravy, but I get the sense that he's going to help them this year. And he's, he's not going to play the most snaps at tight end. I don't think he's going to play as much as Rig or maybe even as much as Bates not going to be in line he's going to be detached or he's going to be an h-back but i wouldn't be shocked if he leads that tight end room in targets and catches and receiving yards because you know those mismatched guys are in high demand and and i think cohen will be able to take advantage of that do you think given that coach cohen comes in with a a new system and he is inheriting guys to to fit into it that it'll be a situation where it might be that first you know even month of, of the season uh for him to to um really get a good feel for what the you know the best sets are and the the personnel combos and things you can you know, try it in practice but you know to see it actually in game conditions i think so i agree and i think that first game against ulm that third game uh there are some some opponents and opportunities for him to to tinker and you got to think they're going to have a couple of big leads in those games, and I think he might leave the starters in long enough to get a better look without giving away too much of the playbook. But, yeah, yeah, I think it's going to take him a while, and, and it's going to take the whole staff a while, Bo Knight, the receivers coach, to figure out who are the right guys to play alongside Ali and Wandale at receiver, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Chauncey Magwood emerges as that guy because, you know, as Cohen said, he can play all three receiver positions, X, Z, and, uh, and slot. So you know, that, if, there are a lot of questions. If the game against Monroe, uh, Louisiana Monroe, goes as people expects, uh, expect in terms of the outcome, uh, I think the, the expectation from fans is that Kentucky will be very vanilla and saving everything for Missouri. I don't know that that'll be to- totally the case because uh, they, they've got to see, you know, uh, for themselves under you know comp- outside competition what you know what looks really good. What are they? Uh, what can they do best? Yeah, I agree with that. And they got to hit their stride. They got to build some momentum, and they got they got to hit that Missouri game totally differently than it went last year. And I, th- I think it will be. I think just as much as people are talking about that game, I'm with you. I, I think they they're not going to just be so solely focused on hiding what they're going to do. I think that that's going to be a game they've had circled for a long time, and they're going to be ready to play. 
Ty Bryant uh, makes his announcement today. Do you think it's Kentucky? I do, yep. Cincinnati, West Virginia, Tennessee, Maryland, some of the other schools that have offered. He's reclassified to 23, and his coach Nathan McPeak told me he's one of the best open field tacklers he's ever coached in 18 years. So that'll be a great start and an early commitment. Kentucky doesn't usually get guys that early on board, but but that'll be a good good get that they'll hold on to. All right. Thank you very much, Justin Rowland. Uh, by the way, any uh, specials for fans leading up to the start of the season? Yeah, yeah. CatsIllustrated.com, free trial at the top. I appreciate that. All right, look for that at catsillustrated.com as we uh, head up to the start of the season for the Cats. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. 17 away from the top of the hour. It's the Leach Report. Justin Rowland coming to you on the drinksword.com hotline. Drinksword.com to find out more about their newest product, Shield Hydrate Better and Faster. And it comes in bold fruit flavors like the uh, orange bottle of shield i have sitting here on the desk right now we'll be right back with dick Gabriel on the leach report this is the leach report on talk radio 1080 you can interact with the show via twitter at leach report now here's tom next up on the drinksword.com hotline dick gabriel from the big blue insider show that he hosts uh, weeknights here in lexington on uh, our flagship station wlap of course he's on the sidelines on our uk network uh, broadcasts of uk football that'll be starting soon and we're going to talk some kentucky football but first got to talk a little bit of travel with you because you just finished up uh, a really fun trip uh, going up to Saratoga for the first time and to the Baseball Hall of Fame, I assume, for the first time too, right? Yeah, correct. And also on the way up, we stopped in Pittsburgh. I've never been to that ballpark. I know you have, but uh, saw my beloved Cardinals play the Pirates and saw Wainwright throw a two-hitter. That was the game where he had two hits, so he matched the Pirates out. <laughs> and we sat right behind the plate, Tom, and I know you've done that, and it's it's so cool to see the way pitchers work and see the movement on their on their breaking balls and things like that. So, yeah, then we went from there, stayed overnight, went up to Cooperstown. I'd never seen that. Fabulous. Then on to Saratoga, three days of racing, and uh, I'll just say I should have used Bruno with the Bruno's works. I mean, it. Uh, I, I did not do well. Broke even <laughs> the first two days, not well the next, uh, the third day, but it was great. Uh, yes, Bruno's gets uh, gets some good info up there. Um, and it's a, if anybody hadn't been, it's, a what, about two hours, two and a half hours over from uh, – uh, Saratoga or Albany, which is short of Saratoga, to Cooperstown, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, Easy it's all right there. And we stayed actually in uh, Troy, which is on the way to Albany. So it's all really centrally located once you get up there. It's beautiful countryside. So I recommend it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I did that uh, several years ago. Um, and I remember driving up to Saratoga, getting off the uh, uh, for the exit for Saratoga, and I see this banner as you're you, – you know, get off the, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's an interstate or a state highway, but to take the exit to go to Saratoga. And so you come up the ramp and you take the, I think it's Union Avenue past the track. Right. And right. Uh, it's there's a banner there that says, you know, when they open. And I realized, I'm like, yeah, this opened about a couple of months after the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, that's on the front gate. Uh, when you walk in, welcome to Saratoga, to the racetrack. It's amazing. Uh, how old that track is but and then we also uh, went into downtown on saturday night which was like one big party you know when they're racing in the fall there so you know you got to do the whole experience but it was fabulous 
Yeah, for a lot of people, uh, you know, Keeneland and uh, in Churchill are yeah. like that for people that aren't Kentuckians like us. So uh, uh, glad you got to do that. Uh, what were what did you uh, what were your takeaways from the Baseball Hall of Fame? What was the best thing you saw there, other than the Pratt House Hotel? Yeah, <laughs> that's right around the corner. Um, it just that it's so so marvelously done, and and to the the Hall of Plaques is so simple and beautiful, and it's you you can feel reverence when you're in there and, and the plaques aren't huge but uh you know there was a video that we saw really well done and tom siever the late tom siever in that video i don't know if it was running when you were there but he said every year i go to the hall of fame and every year you're not supposed to touch the plaques there are signs up but he said i touch my plaque then he named four or five other people whose plaques he touches to drive home to him the fact that he's one of them, that he's there. And and I kept thinking about that as I was going through. And, I, buddy, I looked at every plaque in that room. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really special. Uh, it uh, it's a beautiful town, so I encourage if it's, if, uh, if you're a baseball fan and a racing fan, it's a uh, it's a great trip to do. Uh, let's talk yeah. a little Kentucky football. Did you get to go to the open practice Tuesday? I did not, but I've seen a lot of video. And, uh, boy, I, I think they made the right choice on the starting quarterback, Tom. And now the question is, can he do it under fire? Uh, and that was going to be the question for any of them. But um, I, I'm really curious. We, we, you and I and everybody, we've seen a lot of different chapters in the, the story of the history of Kentucky quarterbacks. And this is certainly going to be interesting. You know, quarterback with a strong arm. It's like a you know pitcher with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It's exciting. Um, but you do have to see it in game competition. But if you're a Kentucky fan, I can, I can understand it's you know it's it's easy to to um, let yourself uh, go a little bit and get excited about what it might look like uh, with you know a guy like Wandale Robinson coming in. Yeah. Or they're talking about Cummings. I mean, they've got some looks like exciting uh, new faces in the passing game that they could uh, hit, and then the running back room is so good. You know, it's a great metaphor because, yeah, a guy with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball is great, and there are a lot of them. But the, the question coaches always ask, does he have a second pitch? And the 100-mile-an-hour fastball in football is the deep ball. Yeah. His second pitch is the intermediate throw, the short throw, over the middle. Can he throw that pitch consistently, literally, for strikes? And, and that's what we need to see with, with Will Levis. Yeah, but can he uh, – because he has to move the chains and – yeah, but they, exactly, and that's what it's all about. The way that they have uh, run the football, uh, there's no reason that the, the deep ball, you know, especially off play action, shouldn't be something that they're really good at. And and they were when Stephen John in Stephen's first year uh, with uh, when they had Bedette and Juice Johnson, and when Stephen yeah. was healthier. Yeah, no question. And um, Derek Ramsey's coming on with me tonight. And one thing we talked about uh, off air yesterday is, of course, Ram was an NFL tight end. And, uh, and played in the league for many years. And to him, the key is the play-action game and throwing to the tight end. You know, And as you know, they've got a room full of them. You mentioned Cummings, and there's two guys probably ahead of him on the depth chart. You know, So the question is, can they make that part of this offense work for whatever reason? They haven't been throwing a lot to the tight ends. I know they tried at times, especially Steven, but he had a hard time hooking up with tight ends. But I really think, Tom, that that's as important as these guys getting open down the field. And if they can uh, get the passing game going, um, 
it, uh, it's, again, very exciting about what it could potentially look like because they've been solid defensively. They've got, it uh, looks like, the personnel there, you know, special teams. I mean, they, they've been able to have a lot of success without being able to throw the ball well in, in the last few years. If you can add that and keep the other things where, it, where they were, uh, you can see why, you know, they're, they're excited. And, you know, they see it every day, the coaches and players there. Right. Outside people looking in, it's you know it's all you know potential and on paper, and I understand why there'd be skepticism until people see it. But the guys that do see it and practice day in and day out, um, they seem genuinely optimistic and excited. Well, and I think the other thing to remember, Tom, is that every coach who faces Kentucky this year, uh, especially uh, early year, will study a mile of video of the Rams. So they're not going to be too terribly surprised by what they see in terms of sets and things like that. So it's up to Kentucky's kids to go out and execute. You know, when you can punch up an NFL game and uh, game film and, and say, okay, this is what Liam Cohen did last year as part of that staff, not the OC. Uh, but you can say, so this, this is where Kentucky's probably going to plug in. And then, of course, it gets a little bit easier to collect that video as the year goes on. So. Uh, they're just going to have to execute. But you know what? Every offense is like that. Go out and make plays. Yeah, and be able to put stress on, on the defense. And it's the same thing, right. you know, the other way when Kentucky's on defense. Do you have guys that can put enough stress on the opponent to where they have to devote extra attention to them, which opens up something else? Or get to the quarterback and make him throw a bad throw. Yeah. And that is the absolute key this year. We all know this for the defense. Last in the league in sacks last year which is quite a drop-off from what they've been doing. And Brad White has said that every time he's taken to the podium. We've got to get to the quarterback better and finish. They got to the quarterback. They just didn't finish last year. I think uh, I'm really uh, bullish on Josh Pascoe in the year that he's going to have. And he may not lead them in sacks, but he may be a guy that is so disruptive he'll get uh, some sacks but also open up opportunities for other guys to get some. Yeah, and it all really his, – his success depends, I think, on McCall. Uh, if that guy becomes the mature leader that I, that he says he wants to be, then that's going to make, as you said, command, respect, double teams, that's going to open lanes for Pascal, and he could have a big year. I don't know if it's Josh Allen kind of year, but he's such a great athlete that, that he could have a huge season. But it starts right there in the middle, as you know. At Big Blue Insider 1 on Twitter, BigBlueInsider.com. And Gabe, we'll see you on the field here in uh, a little over yep. two weeks. Derek Ramsey and Marty Moore tonight, so we're going to talk. Oh about my goodness! Defense. Yeah, that's uh, quite a one-two punch. Give them my best. Yeah, Two great guys. guys. We'll come back, wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. This day in Wildcat history, 1994, pretty good day. Derek Anderson announced he was transferring from Ohio State to Kentucky, and that worked out really well for the Wildcats and for Derek. Uh, an assault charge uh, against uh, UK football chief of staff Dan Brezowitz was dismissed yesterday. Uh, for now, UK says he uh, remains on suspension. And uh, we mentioned uh, Bruno. Bruno with the works dot com. Uh, when we chat with Dick Gabriel, see uh, Bruno just put out an email. Got a special today, and if you buy the Delmar card, they'll give you Saratoga for free. Going to be late with the Saratoga card Thanks because of all the rain up there. So uh, that's it. 